A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The palace has just... Just how do you announce and appropriately reflect on the passing of a monarch? The only monarch most of us have ever known. Uh, Sandra? Queen Elizabeth II has died at the age of 96. John, du Commonwealth et du monde qui se tourne ce soir. La reine Elisabeth II est morte à l'âge de 96 ans, dont 70 ans. Meine Damen und Herren, ich begrüße Sie zur Tagesschau. Königin Elisabeth II ist tot. Das teilte der Buckingham Palace in London. This is Manx Radio broadcasting from Douglas in the Isle of Man. Buckingham Palace has announced that Her Majesty the Queen has died. She was 96 years old. Her Majesty passed away at Balmoral, where we're told doctors earlier became concerned about her health. Her family rushed to be at her side. Her eldest son Charles, the former Prince of Wales, now becomes king. Elizabeth was just 25 when her father, George VI, died, making her queen. She reigned for 70 years, the longest of any British monarch in history, and was still carrying out her duties this week. It's just two days since she had meetings with both the former and the new Prime Ministers. We'll have further news and information on air and online when it becomes available. A great deal has happened since Thursday, September the 8th, 2022. The aforementioned new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Liz Truss, became the shortest serving in British history, resigning on her 50th day in office. This is despite having the extraordinary privilege of being one of only a handful of people to have a speaking role at the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Of course, with the passing of Her Majesty the Queen, her son Charles is now our King, with his wife Camilla the new Queen Consort. And it is His Majesty who we now expect a Christmas message from at this time of year. Charles was the longest-serving heir apparent and, at the age of 73, became the oldest person to accede to the British throne. But over the next hour, as we reflect back on the past year, our focus must return to his mum, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor. Born Princess Elizabeth of York on the 21st of April 1926, and leaving this mortal coil at the age of 96 with the full title of Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. And, of course, our Lord of Man. This is the passing on of the British monarchy, on Manx Radio. The leading members of the travelling escort have already arrived opposite to the reception area, and here now is the royal procession. Two carriages. The second brings the Queen's Lady-in-Waiting, the Countess of Airlie, Crown Equerry and other members of the royal party. But now, Her Majesty the Queen has arrived at St. John's. After the wreath had been laid, the Queen went on to attend the usual church service before the processions made their time-honoured way up the rush-strewn processional pathway to Tinwald Hill, where Her Majesty the Queen, as Lord of Man, presided over the ancient ceremony. A learned deemster, direct the court to be fenced. Honour of Glenfaber Sheeting, and in lighter, fence the court. Has your majesty any further commands? In accordance with standing order 140, I shall refer these petitions to the standing orders committee of Tinwald, who will report on them at their earliest convenience. Freeman of man, in your ancient Tinwald assembled, I call upon you as an expression of your loyalty to give three cheers to Her Majesty the Queen. Hip, hip! Hooray! Hip, hip! Hooray! 
Well, after the Tinwald ceremony, the Queen went on to Government House for avocado pears, poached salmon and strawberries. Then, in the afternoon, she travelled west again, this time to Peel, where the new secondary school was to be given the distinction of being the only school on the island to be opened by a reigning monarch. The name, Queen Elizabeth School, had its critics, but nevertheless there were large crowds outside it on the Douglas Road as Her Majesty the Queen arrived. The key is proffered to Her Majesty, who accepts it, and is now about to open the door and to enter the school. The door opens and Her Majesty the Queen walks into Peel Secondary School accompanied by Mrs. Betty Hanson, the Chairman of the Isle of Man Board of Education. In welcoming Your Majesty to this school, I express the greatest possible joy and honour that the Board of Education and the people of the island feel about your presence here this afternoon. Your Majesty will be aware of the great affection which the people here have for you and your family, and I find it difficult to express in words our gratitude for the honour which you are bestowing on us today. Your Majesty, may I humbly ask you to unveil the plaque which commemorates this historical event. Now Her Majesty the Queen is moving across, accompanied by Mrs. Hanson, and she pulls the cord which reveals the commemorative plaque. The photographs are taken, and Her Majesty returns to her seat. At the end of the opening ceremony, the future pupils of the new Queen Elizabeth School gave the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh a rousing send-off on their way to join about 1,500 guests from all walks of island life at a royal garden party in the school grounds. A selection of clips there from Manx Radio's broadcast covering the visit of Her Majesty the Queen to the Isle of Man in 1979, the year of the Manx Millennium. The death of Her Majesty was something that the world's media, Manx Radio included, had been somewhat prepared for. But when the moment actually arrived, I think it's fair to say that many of us were taken aback by the sheer weight of the news and the extraordinary response of the public. Our role as the nation station, to broadcast a myriad of events and to pay tribute to Her Majesty, while also acknowledging and respecting the ten days of mourning, was certainly a challenge, but it was also a privilege. The stories that were told to us, from children who grew up in the Royal Muse to dignitaries telling of the times they met their Queen and her family, were the richest of radio moments. Some reverent, many fascinating, and a number of them spirit-lifting and smile-raising. God save our gracious Queen, long live our noble Queen, God save the Queen. The things that I like about the Queen is that she was very nice and she cared about her country and she thought of her people before her and she has a lot of doggies. I actually did really like the Queen. I've always wanted to meet her but didn't get a chance. She was really good because she would think about other people instead of herself and some people would have thought about themselves instead of thinking of other people. I know she passed away in Scotland, one of her favourite places, and it was a few weeks after her jubilee. She was a very loyal person to her family and her country, and she was a very good mother and a grandmother and an auntie. I like the Queen because she took a lot of good care of her country. My nana met the Queen and she shook hands with her and got an award and then my other nana got a birthday card i got a card off her because she turned 100 it's the queen and it 
It's exciting that someone in your family got something off of her. It makes me feel like shocked because she's the longest lived monarch that's ever ruled a country in the world. It makes me shocked as well because she was really old and I just felt surprised when I found out how old she was on the Queen's Jubilee. It reminds me of the very first broadcast I made in 1940, helped by my sister. Queen Elizabeth II's life was one spent very much in front of her public. It was marked by extraordinary broadcasts across several different mediums, some of which she pioneered for the royal family. Long before she was a seasoned professional appearing on television screens around the world, a young Elizabeth first took a step into the limelight in 1940 with a radio broadcast. The 14-year-old future Queen was heard across the airwaves during the BBC's Children's Hour with her younger sister Margaret by her side. She spoke directly to other children across the UK who had been evacuated from cities in a voice which has since become instantly recognisable. In wishing you all good evening, I feel that I am speaking to friends and companions who have shared with my sister and myself many a happy children's hour. Princess Elizabeth's wedding to Philip Mountbatten on the 20th of November 1947 took place at Westminster Abbey. It was broadcast to 200 million radio listeners around the world. And here's the Irish coach coming up to the west door now, and I'll just hand you over to the sounds of the crowd that acclaim the bride as the anthem is played. Not long after, on the 2nd of June 1953, the Abbey was again the setting for a momentous occasion as Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth II. 11 million listened in on the radio in the UK alone. It was the first to ever be broadcast via television, direct into people's homes, with 27 million people tuning in. The trumpets are sounded and the bells are rung. The thunder of guns roars across Hyde Park, and far off, eastward by the river, the guns of the Tower of London answer. So have people in the city and town of London, here and now and salute this moment of crowning. She continued the tradition of modernising the royal family when she beamed into homes once more, giving her Christmas Day message on television. The royal Christmas message began in 1932 when King George V addressed the nation via the BBC's Empire Service. In 1957, Elizabeth followed in her grandfather's footsteps, albeit in a different medium. Happy Christmas. 25 years ago... My grandfather broadcast the first of these Christmas messages. Today is another landmark, because television has made it possible for many of you to see me in your homes on Christmas Day. It's not just the Queen herself we have grown accustomed to seeing on our screens, but also versions of her in popular culture the world over. Helen Mirren won both an Oscar and a BAFTA for her work in The Queen, and Claire Foy became a household name, taking her on in the critically acclaimed Netflix drama The Crown. It would help if we could decide here and now on your name. My name? Yes, ma'am. Your regnal name. Uh, that is the name you will take as Queen. Let's not overcomplicate matters unnecessarily. My name is Elizabeth. These versions of the Queen may not be completely factual, but they have humanised a figure usually seen to be just out of grasp of our comprehension. We didn't know Elizabeth personally, but through these versions of her on the screens in our homes, we could pretend to, even just a little. This week, Perspective reflects on the lifelong service and sad passing of Queen Elizabeth II, Lord of Man. Many current and former Tinwald members have spoken to Manx Radio in the past few days. We begin with the Chief Minister's tribute. The death of Her Majesty the Queen will have been met with a sense of profound sadness by people across the Isle of Man, as indeed it has been by those across the British Isles and throughout the world. Across our island there will be hundreds, if not thousands of you who will in some small way have interacted with Her Majesty whether that have been serving in her armed forces, as I was privileged to do, or serving on public duty with the constabulary and other public bodies, sworn oaths of allegiance, or have simply taken time to interact with her whilst she was in attendance at public functions. And also we have seen our Lord of Man as a mother, 
grandmother and great-grandmother. She has provided us all with a greater sense of family and belonging, bringing the British Isles together at times of trial and tribulation. Her Majesty the Queen, our Lord of Man, has been an absolute constant throughout my lifetime and the lifetimes of the vast majority of people alive today. She has spent her whole adult life serving with dignity, purpose and fortitude and has provided an example to us all. Her Majesty has been a remarkable sovereign and Lord of Man in so many ways. I am sure that she will leave us all with many memories associated with her reign. The Isle of Man joins our extended family across the British Isles in sadness and tribute. Our thoughts and prayers are now with King Charles and the royal family. Rest in peace, Your Majesty. It's near enough 20 to 9. Good morning. It's Saturday the 10th of September. It's a strange Saturday uh, for one reason, as we know. Uh, it's Carnaby Street International. I've given the uh, time train team the week off this week and possibly next week as well. But I felt I wanted to be here. Uh, we are live in Studio 2 uh, to play you some 60s songs between now and half past 10 and uh, share some memories of Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, what can I say? It's It seems a bit odd to me. Um, I'm going to put my... Uh, nail my flags to the mast. I'm a royalist, and uh, I feel like well, I've I've only ever known um, Her Majesty the Queen as our ruler. Uh, now we are saying God save the King. Steve Ty, good morning to you. Uh, has left a message on our Facebook. Thank a cup of kindness yet for the sake of Auld Lang Syne. On the sweeter side of Sweets and Swing, I dare say. George Formby, of course, with that British medley. And Her Majesty, a great fan. And I'm told it goes right back when she was little, just during the war, and George uh, and his wife, um, Beryl, I think it was, wasn't it, came to entertain the young princes then, and she loved him then and laughed away and loved him ever since for the rest of her life. Apparently, she wanted to be president of the George Formby fan club, but was told she was too important. (laughs) I mean, that's... How can you be head of the state and monarch and you not be able to have your own way on that and say, look, I'd love to be... I'm sure the George Formby Society would have been delighted, but um, whether it was seen as not policy, not politic, I don't know. But she was a massive fan of the late musician and uh, did like the idea of heading up his fan club, according to the BBC and the various other sources as well. Uh, it goes back to early days. I think they entertained several times, but... Uh, her Majesty's fondness for the so-called ukulele king was a detailed, I think, in a Radio 2 documentary broadcast some time back. And it, it goes back that uh, she, in her correspondence, had asked, her correspondence secretary noted, I don't honestly think, if you don't mind me saying so, this is appropriate, ma'am. You're head of the armed forces, the head of the Church of England. I don't think you can be president of the George Formbury Appreciation Society. To which the Queen replied, apparently, well, I do see that. But you see, I love George Formby. Ah, <laughs> oh, that just—I think that's a bit cruel, that wasn't it? Oh, you would have thought it wasn't asking too much. Would it raise too many eyebrows? Sadly, she just had to enjoy the music. When I'm cleaning windows, apparently a favourite. But I thought the British medley might fit better into Sweet and Swing. And I'm told it goes right back when she was little, just during the war, and George. Uh, and his wife, um, Beryl, I think it was, wasn't it, came to entertain the young princes then, and she loved him then and laughed away and loved him ever since for the rest of her life. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Nothing wrong with loving George Formby. Quite right. I think I had good taste there, Your Majesty. Well done. I do hope he can entertain you wherever you've got to now. Another person. Perhaps you might think this one's a bit more likely. I don't know. Who she was also very fond of was 
this woman, Vera Lynn. of just some of the audio produced by our presenters and journalists to mark the passing of the Queen. Broadcast journalist Siobhan Fletcher celebrating a thoroughly modern majesty. Phil Gorn, former MHK, looking at the impact of Her Majesty's passing in a political sense. The station's own 60 supremo Chris Williams sharing a very honest and personal reaction to the news on Carnaby Street. And swinking Howard Kane with a musical tribute to the Royal Formby fan. Arriving aboard Britannia, Douglas, Isle of Man, the Queen and the Duke had TT motorcyclists as an escort when they began their tour. Russian Castle at Castletown boasts a famous one-handed clock presented by Queen Elizabeth I in 1597. Her Majesty, who inspected it closely, was invited to wind it up. This royal visit was a great thrill for all the people of the island, and the Queen talked with fisherfolk and many others present to greet her. It's 17 years since Her Majesty visited the island, which constitutionally is not part of the United Kingdom and boasts its own parliament. This was Prince Philip's fourth visit. Of course, royalty and the Isle of Man have a special relationship overseen by the sea god Mananen and his infamous mist, which sweeps in to cloak the island to guard it when royalty approaches. Former governor Ronald Garvey was happy to lend weight to that legend. Seeking down the deepest well and out across the moor Seeking where the savage catches to the shore on this occasion, I decided that I would outflank Mananin by bringing the Queen Mother the, the Royal Yacht in at Ramsey. And we brought, uh, we, we brought the yacht in in the most glorious day, absolutely blue sky. We trundled down, I think, in a little trolley car um, to the end of the wharf, and, and, and then the sort of royal progress started. That's right, a four-day four visit, and uh, I believe the weather then was, was glorious sunshine while well, the rest of Britain had uh, rain, I believe, was it? Yes, but of course there was a big change when the Queen Mother gave her farewell dinner party when Britannia came round to um, Douglas Harbour. A giant voice calls in the night Who is it broke my sleep? The yacht was to be floodlit by, I think, 7 o'clock or perhaps a little earlier. Mananin did his job. <laughs> he threw the biggest thick cloak of fog round Douglas Harbour. The, the yacht was blotted out. You couldn't yeah. know whether she was floodlit or not. Mananin, my so when we went on board, it was so thick that the only way they could get us to the ship was to con us by radio. Mm. 
When I got um, to the top of the gangway, having, I think, been piped up in the usual way, the Admiral, of course, was there to greet me. Admiral Henley, I think it was. And so I said, <coughs> Admiral, I really have to be profuse in my apologies that um, this uh, very difficult situation has been created. Um, now you've arrived in Douglas Harbour. He said, my dear chap, he said, no, he said, this is terrific. This is tradition coming true. He said, I wouldn't have it in any other way at all. <laughs> and, I, and I think a marriage to the Queen Mother felt exactly the same about it. Yes, I do remember it very well. I mean, I was very privileged to be asked by Max Radio to um, commentate. The Royals always had full programmes, didn't they, when they came to the Isle of Man? But I remember she turned up in a sort of cornflower blue dress and hat. And I just remember it's the first time I'd ever seen her in real life, how petite she was. And she stood on the uh, dais next to the health minister at the time who was giving a speech. And I just remember she just took everything in she was looking from under her hat. You could see her bright, bright blue eyes just taking everything in, just looking around the room, looking at people, uh, listening intently. But just sort of, I just remember that, her sort of looking at all all that was going on around her. You've worked on a number of high-profile programmes and broadcasts over the years, but actually commentating on the monarch, a royal visit. Did you feel the pressure that day, Sarah? I did, yes, yes. Um, yeah, you just want to get it right, which is why, as I say, I went down the day before. I spent all day the day before learning about Southlands and um, about her as well. But just trying not to use all those phrases, you know, that, you know, oh, my goodness, she looked beautiful and radiant and trying to describe her in different ways so that people that weren't there could sort of understand what she looked like and what she was doing and that sort of thing. So yes, it, there was a bit of pressure um, and I wasn't sure how I was going to sort of follow the speech and things, but it all worked out in the end and uh, I didn't get in her way and <laughs> either, which was the main thing. The proclamation. Whereas it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy our late Sovereign Lady, Queen Elizabeth II, of blessed and glorious memory, by whose decease the Crown of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is solely and rightfully come to the Prince Charles, Philip, Arthur, George. We, therefore, the Lieutenant Governor of the Isle of Man, the President of Tynwald and the Chief Minister of the Isle of Man Government do now hereby, with one voice and consent of tongue and heart, publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now, by the death of our late Sovereign of happy memory, become our only lawful and rightful liege lord charles the third by the grace of god of the united kingdom of great britain and northern ireland and of his other realms and territories king lord of man head of the commonwealth defender of the faith to whom we do acknowledge... Talk me through those proclamations then, Jonathan, the first yesterday at Government House. Um, yes. Well, I mean, I think we've seen on our TV screens uh, proclamations in London and throughout the United Kingdom and across the Commonwealth. And yesterday's was our part in that. So at exactly the same time as in Jersey and Guernsey, also in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, His Majesty was proclaimed King by the appropriate person, in this case, uh, the Lieutenant Governor. And the point of doing it at Government House is really that that's the seat of, of the Governor and that's where we think of when we think of the relationship between the island and the Crown. And what is the significance then of this second proclamation on Friday? Right, well, this is uh, a bit more uniquely Manx, uh, Beth, because this has been done at Timbald Hill. We think conceivably for a thousand years. We don't actually know what happened when you got a new Viking Lord of Man in the in the olden days. But we do know that in 1417, when they decided to write down the Constitution, one of the first things they said that a king ought to do is to sit on Tynwald Hill and let the people know that he is their king. So that's the tradition that we're, we're playing out in, in the modern era. Uh, so we're going to go to St. John's and hear about who the king is. 
Many current and former Tynwald members have spoken to Manx Radio in the past few days. Just a few moments ago, King Charles III was proclaimed as the Lord of Man at Government House, the proclamation being read by the Lieutenant Governor. Former Chief Minister, Speaker and MHK, Tony Brown, reflected on the life of the late Queen. Yeah, my reflections, I have quite a lot because I was fortunate enough to first actually meet the Queen um, in 1979 when I was uh, Vice Chairman of Castletown Commissioners and she opened the QE2 school. Um, I'd seen her before then. I remember when I worked at the uh, Alaman Electricity Board and I was in the Castletown shop and uh, she processed down through Castle Street and I was in my usual scruffs like everybody else who was working, leaning against the door, watching Her Majesty go by and saying, oh, so that's the Queen. Um, so that's a long time ago. That That is quite a long time ago. Um, but, I mean, I've, I've had some uh, wonderful, uh, and I've been very privileged to meet her on about six or seven occasions and to speak with her. And uh, she is what everyone says. I mean, she was a, a wonderful lady. I think there's a lot of people who are very supportive of, of royalists, and, and we understand that. Um, but there's a lot of people get a lot of comfort that the head of state is actually the queen, and now it will be the king. And uh, from that, they feel that sort of, if you like, comfort overseeing us, uh, not interfering with us, but making sure we're okay. I think there's a lot of people who think that way. And, of course, there are people who don't agree with a, a system where uh, the crown uh, has a representation at all in the Isle of Man. Um, but I think if you look at it in general terms, it served us well. It has safeguarded us in many ways. And I think as our democracy has moved forward, and it's, I think it's slowed down a little bit at the moment, but if it moves forward again, um, it will become more important. Former Chief Minister Tony Brown speaking with Phil Gorn. We also heard the BBC's Sarah Palmer remembering Her Majesty's visit to the island in 2003 and Clerk of Timwald Jonathan King speaking with Beth Espy. You're listening to The Passing On of the British Monarchy, taking a look back at the coverage of one of the biggest media events in modern history. On hearing of the death of Queen Elizabeth II on September the 8th of this year, numerous listeners contacted us to share their stories of meeting Her Majesty and her family. Some meetings were fleeting, while others more significant. Former Ireland resident Mick Yuknovich remembers his time working with, quite literally, all the Queen's horses. The Queen had a huge interest in her horses and was extremely knowledgeable. And often, whilst in the riding school with the head coachman and a young horse, a small door at the end of the riding school would open and Her Majesty, in the instantly recognisable Mackin headscarf, would come in to see what progress was being made. Extremely privileged to have been part of that trio for that brief moment, just talking horses. Whilst at the Royal Paddocks, Her Majesty would, a few times a year, come to see her young horses, often driving herself in the Green Jaguar. She always had with her the corgis, and whilst looking around, always a camera hung from her neck. On one occasion, she had come to see a newly acquired colt of a heavy horse breed. Unfortunately, the young horse had not been well handled by its breeder and was very light on the back end an equestrian term meaning the horse was prone to readily kicking out with its hind legs. A fact I knew, as this horse had hospitalised me, having caught me with kicks in the chest. Walking around the paddock also were the head stud groom and the crown equerry, deep in conversation, while I held the horse by its head collar for the Queen to take a closer look. Instinctively, the Queen put her hand on the horse's rear quarters and began to bend with the obvious intention of running a hand down the horse's rear legs to check its conformation. Instantly, I saw the horse's back go up and its ears flatten, and I could visualise what was about to happen. The head stud groom and crown equerry were oblivious, still in conversation. My reaction was to touch Her Majesty on the shoulder, at which she froze and stood up. I said, Sorry, ma'am, I suggest you don't. He's very light on the back end and has hospitalised me once already. This I knew she would have understood. Without a word, she gave me a slight knowing nod, and I am, however, grateful I was not on the receiving end of the look she offered the other two that wordlessly spoke volumes. Maybe, 
just maybe on that day I saved Her Majesty from some serious injury or worse. My short interludes of contact with Her Majesty make me feel privileged to have had that opportunity and I remain devastated at the nation's loss. Rest in peace, Mom. Goodness knows. For what you have given, you deserve it. That was Mick Yuknovich. Imagine being his young daughter, living in the Royal Mews while your father works in the Royal Stables. Something our own Nicola Holt recalls clearly. She told us that, even as a young child, she couldn't help but be aware of the importance of the place where she lived. I became aware very quickly when, on a regular basis, uh, I remember my mum leaving the gates of the Royal Mews with my brother in a pushchair and me walking alongside, and we had to do the walk, the 10-minute walk every day to school. And on, upon trying to leave the premises, um, being approached and basically papped by tourists um, who were declaring that my brother was Prince William's playmate and they wanted a photograph of him to go back and show their family. And my mum, who hates being centre of attention, uh, busily trying to tell these tourists that, no, no, he's not. We just live here. <laughs> my husband works here. He's, he's just a normal kid. And one of my other memories of living at the Royal Muse was the generosity um, of the Queen because as a child of an employee, we received Christmas presents off the Queen. I suppose it's the equivalent of the Christmas party. In the grounds of the Royal Muse, Santa would arrive on horse-drawn carriage uh, with the traditional hot-roasting chestnuts and that smell and we'd all be sort of dressed up in our warm coats and, and go along and meet Santa and be, be given our Christmas presents. And um, I received my first Barbie doll from the Queen and I was chuffed to bits. So when the news was announced last Thursday that uh, the Queen had died, having this connection uh, particularly, you know, how, how did you feel when you, when you heard the news? Devastated. Shocked. Um, as many people have said, because she's been a part of our lives for so long, you lure yourself into a full sense of security that she was going to be around forever. And one of the first things I did was I phoned my dad. I was just going to ask, have you spoken to your dad and, and, and what was his reaction? Um, he was equally as shocked and devastated and obviously then um, all the, the trips down memory lane of all his meetings with the Queen and stuff we sort of we had a little chat on the phone about her and his meetings and stories and, and that's where his stories started coming out He must have been immensely proud to have done that job uh, Yeah, once in a lifetime opportunity He loved that job and he thoroughly enjoyed it and he's got some very, very fond memories I wonder as well, because the Queen and her love of horses so well documented, do you think she was perhaps a little closer to her employees who worked on the equestrian side of things? Without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt, and particularly if uh, they had the same love and passion, which my dad did, um, then, yeah, she would have um, enjoyed spending time with them and talking to them. Uh, I'm Ella Slack. And I used to work at the BBC, and for over 30 years I was a, a rehearsal stand-in for Her Majesty the Queen. So I'm very sad at what's been happening, yeah. Ella, just take us back. How did this first come about? Well, I was manager of royal events at the BBC, and the Queen had said that the sun was in her eyes at the cenotaph ceremony. So uh, we wanted extra rehearsal time to sort out the camera positions, and all my stage managers were six-foot men. So I said, would you like me to go and stand there? Because I'm the same height or similar height to the Queen. So I went and did that. And, of course, that led on to all sorts of different events that I did over the years. I went to the Albert Hall, Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, uh, practising lighting uh, the, the flames for the beacons uh, and the Mall and the Millennium and the the Thames for the barges, and so lots of things over the years, yeah. Did you meet her? No, very near, lots of times, but never actually met her, no. And, of course, today has meant a lot to me. I was on the Isle of Man in 1955 when the Queen came, and in 1979 the BBC televised the event when the Queen was here, and my uncle was the Deemster, and he read the laws in ranks. So, and I was also here when she came the, the last visit as well. So it, it's been something that we were all standing by all the years I was at the BBC, what to do when the Queen died, did die. 
And in fact, all that I did in the end was the funeral of Princess Diana. And so I've been thinking of my colleagues at the BBC and all the other television stations, because I think they've all been covering everything very well. I'll never forget all the memories I have, and I've been very proud to be able to help for the broadcast for Her Majesty the Queen. Christmas broadcast in 1980, she said, As I go about the country and abroad, I meet many people who, all in their own ways, are making a real contribution to their community. I come across examples of unselfish service in all walks of life and in many unexpected places. And I include all those who don't realize that they deserve thanks and are content that what they do is unseen and unrewarded. The very act of living a decent and upright life is in itself a positive factor in maintaining civilized standards. In conclusion, the Queen said, You don't have to be rich or powerful in order to change things for the better, and each of us, in our own way, can make a contribution. Today, as our Lord of Man takes a slow, last journey through the streets of her capital, it'll be packed with those who believe it's important that they're there. From here, on this small island, we will regard that journey, perhaps reflect on any incident we may recall that brought us into close contact with the girl who, at the age of 25, was brought up brutally by the death of her beloved father, but then took an oath to serve, that was put to the test over seven decades and wasn't found to be wanting. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Five police officers from the Isle of Man Constabulary were among those who were at the state funeral, in an official capacity. The officers were deployed to assist with general policing and ceremonial duties. The distinctly Manx white helmet of Sergeant Barry Hand caught the attention of the international press while he was there, going viral on social media. He stopped by the station on his return, along with Constable Ali Thompson, to tell us about their experience. It was a, a complete mixed bag of emotions um, mm -hmm. the whole time I was there, um, from excitement, from trepidation, a little bit of sadness as well because of the occasion. Um, we, as police officers, are all crown servants, so we all serve the, the Queen. Now we serve the King. Um, it was an amazing day, an amazing experience, and deeply honoured and deeply privileged to have been there. It but I think your experience was probably very different from Police Constable Ali Thompson, who's with us as well. Uh, tell us what you were doing, Ali. On the Wednesday, our first um, duty was at Whitehall, and we were helping with the road closure at Whitehall while the coffin was taken from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall. And we were manning a pedestrian crossing so that they could get people going from one side of the road to the other to make sure there's not con too much congestion, etc. And as we were helping people across the road, we got told to shut the crossing very, 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 very quickly um, because the King was coming back up the road. <laughs> so there was the King and the Queen Consort and Prince William and Catherine and Prince Harry and Meghan all literally drove past our, the back of our backs, um, which we didn't expect. And I don't think the bosses there expected that to happen either, <laughs> the way we were rushed to close the road again. So, yeah. Barry, I'm guessing from where you were, you probably didn't actually get to experience or see much of what was going on. I didn't actually get to see much. I certainly experienced a great deal. Um, but no, I didn't get to see the, the funeral procession. Um, even though we were there on a ceremonial role, lining the, the mall down to Buckingham Palace, um, we still had a role to play. We were still police officers. Uh, we still had a duty to perform whilst we were there. Mm -hmm. And to do any sort of duty on that auspicious and memorable day, you, you just did it 100%. And I'm pretty sure that every police officer who was there just did the best that they could on, on that day. Um, but my experience of seeing the procession was through the crowd that was in front of me. So we were, everyone that lined the mall, we were given a, or the mall, sorry, we were given a, a small section of crowd to manage and that was our job. And as 
Isle of Man police officers, we're really good at doing that because we're really good at speaking to people and really good at communicating with people. Uh, the TT in particular gives us a lot of experience doing that, and we've done many TTs, haven't we, Ali? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really nice role for me to do on the day, and I met some amazing people. So I, I experienced the, the Queen's funeral through them, and it was really moving at the end of it because I sort of got to the end and I thought, I haven't really seen anything that's happened even though you could hear it all, there was so much movement going on behind me. And a lot of the members of the public were saying, Barry, um, you are literally in every photo we've taken (laughs) and every piece of video footage we have on our phones. So we'll just start emailing stuff into you. And that's what it's been like since I got back. Every now and then there's a little ping on my email and it's a a little um, someone's put me on Facebook or something and little things pinging up every now and then. So now I've got loads of photos of me with the funeral going on behind me or the procession going on behind me. If, if there was one image that either of you will keep returning to, so, it, you know, when we're talking about this now, what is the one image of that experience that comes to your mind, Barry? For me, it was the amount of people that were there. You know, we, we took, there were thousands and thousands of people that descended onto London and every single one of them was there with the same purpose and that was to just give respect to, to the Queen um, and her, her lifelong service and it was just amazing to see a whole nation come together like that and literally happening right in front of you um, I'm not ashamed to say that I stood there and I cried and I cried with the members of the public that were stood in front of me and there was one particular young girl who was there with her family and um, she was there with her sister and her mum and dad and she'd start crying and she'd set me off and then I'd start crying and I'd set her off and it was just, it was just amazing it was a truly truly amazing experience To celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, composer Thomas Hewitt-Jones was commissioned by the Royal School of Church Music to write a new choral piece. The result is called In His Service and has been sung by choirs, soloists, ensembles and in schools the length and breadth of the country. The melody is new, but all the words are taken from speeches given by Her Majesty and conclude with these words, A life lived ever in God's service, through all the darkest times, a faithful child of God throughout the years of life and in eternity, a vow of love. She has led the country through some of its greatest and darkest moments with grace, strength and faith. And even though her position as our Queen created an understandable separation from her people, the heart-wrenching image of her sitting completely alone at the funeral of her beloved husband of some 74 years spoke more eloquently than any words of her solidarity with every person in a similar situation prevented by the COVID restrictions of the time from having the support of family or friends when it was most needed. there from the special programming Judith Lay produced, looking back at the extraordinary life of Queen Elizabeth II. We're almost at the end now of our own special programme, but we'll return now to Judith to finish this look back at the passing on of the British monarchy. What better words to end with than those of Elizabeth herself? These written for the foreword of a book that was published to celebrate her 90th birthday, and very poignant they are too. In it, she wrote, In the last 90 years, the extent and pace of change has been truly remarkable. We have witnessed triumphs and tragedies. Our world has enjoyed great advances in science and technology, but it has also endured war, conflict and terrible suffering on an unprecedented scale. In my first Christmas broadcast in 1952... 
the Queen wrote, I asked the people of the Commonwealth and Empire to pray for me as I prepared to dedicate myself to their service at my coronation. I have been and remain very grateful to you for your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. I invite you to join me in reflecting on the words of a poem quoted by my father, King George VI, in his Christmas Day broadcast in 1939, the year that this country went to war for the second time in a quarter of a century. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. listening to The Passing On of the British Monarchy on Manx Radio. Produced and edited by myself, Christy Dehaven, with grateful thanks to all of the contributors. You can listen back to the entire programme and many of the interviews in full via our Manx Radio podcast service. Subscribe at manxradio.com or using your usual podcast provider. In life, in death, oh Lord.